Good morning, guten Morgen. Welcoming to Freestyle para Gotar and Lola. Show, show. Dig it, man. How are you guys? Alive, I'd take it. I see you're alive if you're listening to this podcast. Ha 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 ha. Anyway, so uh, beautiful morning. Just doing some some uh, TikToks. Calling on everybody to please call the DOJ and demand that they lock these motherfuckers up, please. They're terrorizing the rest of us. And the um, FBI. My co- I have a complaint against the FBI, you know, now that you're, and the uh, DOJ, now that you're, um, you know, the government, and the State Department, actually, because uh, this is the hundreds of top secret and other classified materials, documents, that... uh, Mr. Assface Nazi Dump Trump stole from the government and also put countless lives at risk by storing them in a, his golf club, basically. Anyway, let's go to the Tony Michaels um, podcast. And, yeah. We will fuck and you watch. I think in my office, I have confidential documents or whatever it may be. All these you do, you did until they came and got this shit. A lot of people, a lot of people think, yeah, a lot of people do think that now. <laughs> right? Like, you, 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 you saw this thing. Right? You caused the DOJ to release this shit and unseal it, oh and they said, God. "I'm tweeting it right now." them all Okay, so right now I'm, I'm, I'm proofing, it's called proofing in the uh, journalism industry. Make sure these goddamn GOP traitors, not traitors, they're not just trading, they're, well, they're trading in traitors, traitors, a huge um, explosion nearby. What was that?
I said it. Bar a mall from midterms. Okay, I'm putting I'm tagging in fucking Justice Department. The Justice DEPT. So yeah, I'm taking screenshots and sharing those. I just send to the uh, all the Democrats. who actually listens to share this. I shared it on Facebook. I shared it uh, Twitter.
I share it on Instagram? Save. I'm going to share that. And so I'm going to share it with a bunch of Arizona Democrats and the Women's March, Justice Department, LGBTQ, Black Dems, Washington Post, Chuck Schumer. Okay, that's good enough. Hmm. All right, let's get back to the show. Okay, fine. Yeah, well, we'll I mean, really, he was the one that got the DOJ involved in the first place. All he had to do was take the fucking little bit of slack that NAR was giving him on these classified documents when they're like, hey, we need our shit. He should have returned them yeah, the first time they asked sensitive. for them. You cannot have this stuff. Yeah. This is not stuff you can jump. <laughs> well, I mean, when he says, I'm just sitting around looking at these documents, it's exactly what you're saying. He has this shit stash in his office. The shit that he wants to show people is the shit that was in his office. Mm-hmm. And he knows where it's at. And he's got three of them in his desk drawer that are ready and available to bra- to have bragging rights that he has top secret information. Let's continue. It's so, it's so dishonest when you look at it. And so people were... So he says he, all those things they're telling you, all that stuff is true. Yeah. Bill Barr is going on Fox News, Fox News, and saying, "Hey, him claiming that he declassified all this shit is yeah. worse than him taking it." When Bill Barr says that out loud on Fox News, this guy's in big fucking trouble. He's yeah. in big trouble, and I think Bill Barr is signaling to people, "He's yeah. for this, dummies. You better stop defending it because he's gonna go to prison." This guy was. This guy was one of the most uh-huh. ruthless. Trump defenders as the Attorney General of the United States. This is not some fucking schlub. This guy was this guy made sure no. to bury the fucking Mueller report so that Trump wouldn't be indicted on charges for Russian collusion. Right. Uh, or the fact that, that he tried to get Barr and Barr was like, Yeah, we'll use the DOJ to protect you from E. Jean Carroll. Right. Like with that lawsuit. Right. I was like, whoa, whoa, that scumbag is the one. That's the one who is now saying, hey, you need to stop defending this guy because his argument, it doesn't matter which argument he makes, mm-hmm. they're both really treasonous arguments. Yeah. They're both I mean, really if, treasonous. If I were to quote Bill Barr right now. Right, right, right. Well, speaking of bullshit, uh, it brings us to our winner, Boone End of the Week. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you talk about bullshit. I don't know where she comes up with these legal takes. I don't know where she got her fucking law degree from. But it doesn't seem like she even has a law degree, to be quite honest with you. I don't think she'll have a law degree much longer, especially, (laughs) you know, especially for Christina Bob. They're making these accusations. I know. It's ridiculous. Well, it's so much so that they get their own sitcom. Shitty legal takes. Let's watch. Let's watch this episode of Shitty Legal Takes here uh, featuring Elena Habba. (laughs) 
What, what's happened is now they've put this picture out so that you would assume, and I am somebody who has been in the press, loves to talk about this, especially today. I'm somebody that has been in his office. I've seen it. This is not the way his office looks. What has she seen? His office or is it? I don't know what it is. No, no, no. I think it is the office, but I'm not I think office. as a lawyer, it's important that you are very specific with your words. Right, right. And it is kind of generic. Yeah. But let's, let's continue. They give you this appearance that you walk in, and there's these top-secret documents just strewn about. And they, they don't understand. Something could be... That was 2A. She says, A. Yep, yeah. that was 2A. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the, that's the picture. Like, she's walking straight into it. Mark top-secret could be marked classified. The Presidential Records Act... Said this is declassified. It doesn't get a new marking all the time he's left the office it's all the time she yeah. admits it doesn't get a new marking i mean most of the yeah. time like yeah, well, uh, every yeah, single yeah. every single time every single time it gets a marking. like maybe there's one or two instances where it didn't that was a mistake <laughs> and probably someone paid the price for that but yeah you know jesus it is a complete public spectacle and i'm not really going to stand by it anymore you know i personally have not What's hilarious about the public spectacle thing is it was them that did this. They made the public spectacle. Yeah. Like, literally, NARA COJ wanted to keep this under wraps. They did not want this out in the public. They did not want to make this a... They really didn't want to do this thing where they released a photo, released a, 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 the affidavit, released the fucking inventory list. They didn't want to do that. They did not want to do that. They but even, to make even case further back, back, even further back, you have to remember that in January, NARA made a visit down to get those 15 boxes. And again, like you're pointing out, this whole thing could have been avoided by one, not stealing the documents, right. right? But two, not playing this cat and mouse game for 18 to 20 months and saying, We don't have the documents. We swear we don't have the documents. We have written down as a lawyer representing Trump, we don't have the documents. We gave you all the documents, you know, as they go down and they go back and forth. And Nara was like, Okay, you know what? We're just going to put this timeline on our website, and we're going to let everyone know this is the communication that happened. And those emails were also released because the lawyers and Trump continued to challenge and say this was all made up. They were the one planning evidence, and they're like, look, we have the fucking receipts. Here right. they are. Right. We have the emails back What's in funny? when we were talking What's about funny this. about all this? If you really think about this, the people that are going to take down Trump here, fucking librarians okay yeah. <laughs> literally librarians at the national and i don't i'm not trying to they're doing great work and they catalog everything what i'm trying to say is librarians usually are very smart they have great memories and they document everything they document everything jesus you take a book 20 years later they know you still have that goddamn book yeah and it is librarians that are going to take down Trump. This is hilarious. Let's continue to listen to this. Intimidated. People have tried to intimidate me. It's not going to work. You can't well, just put a picture there. like this and say, look. Did, did the FBI do that, or was that the way down they looked yeah. before they went in there? Do you have any, any first-hand knowledge? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you've seen the press today. I do have first-hand knowledge, as you know. I have been down there. I'm down there frequently. I have never seen that. I have never ever seen that that is not the way his office looks anybody that knows president trump's office he has guests frequently there it is it's just a joke they literally must have gone in and taken out documents they wanted or cover letters as it is and put it about so that the public believes that this is top secret documents that were on his floor it's ridiculous i could they were top secret yeah. documents on his floor. Floor. Right? Part out loud. 
She's like right admitting. Oh my god. She's such a bonehead. She goes, Yeah, I went down there. I saw those documents. Yeah, yeah, no, I saw I saw those documents and yeah, there were there were frequent guests that came down there. I don't know. Guys, I don't know what the big deal is. Why does why do people keep freaking out? Right. I have no idea where she got her law degree and how he found this attorney. I have no idea. Maybe she snuck in um, with the Russian spy who claims to be a Rothschild. Let's give Habba her due for Bonehead of the Week. between Habba and Bob. Yeah. And uh, Habba, it was, it Habba was pulled back and it out, forth the right? whole night. I know, I know. It was close between the two of them. So thanks for voting for Bone End of the Week. Don't forget to go follow at Tony Michaels Pod to vote every single week for Bone End of the Week. And you can watch Bone End of the Week every single Friday here in the second hour of the Tony Michaels Podcast and also the replay on the Midas Touch Network's YouTube page. Don't forget to go over there and subscribe. You're not going to want to miss the replay in prime time every Friday night. Also, subscribe here at the Tony Michaels Podcast. If you're on Midas Touch watching it, come over to the Tony Michaels Podcast. Watch us every single weekday, noon Eastern, 11 Central, 9 Pacific, Monday through Friday, and also simulcasting at the Midas Touch Facebook page. You can also download every single episode on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast and listen in. Make sure to leave a review while you're there. It's been a hell of a theme with these lawyers this week, but um, we made it through. We made it through the week. I'm sure the weekend's just going to give us plenty more news on Monday. Yes. Plenty more news on Monday. Monday for the holiday. Which, by the way, are we doing a show on Monday? I, well, I mean, I've planned on it. I, yeah, I want to take got, off. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. I can, I've got I can nothing else going on. Right. Sure. I'll see you on the show. That's all I do is yell and scream into a microphone. That's all I do is yell and scream into a microphone. So join us on Monday. If you're here at the Tony Michaels Podcast, stick around. But if you're on the Midas Touch YouTube channel, thanks for joining us for this edition of Bonehead of the Week. Bonehead of the Week. We went a little long there. The reason why yeah, is because we yeah. had some technical difficulties. Technical difficulties. But we made it through. We made it through, and we appreciate everyone sticking around. We have a lot of new audience members. Again, don't forget, don't forget to subscribe here at the Tony Michaels Podcast. It helps us out a lot. And go follow us on Twitter as well. All that helps out at the Tony Michaels Pod. You can also follow me at the Tony Michaels, and you can follow Gabe at I am Sanchez. Also, what helps out is downloading every single episode on Apple, Spotify, Google, Wouldn't your favorite you like directory. You can listen like to us anywhere, anytime, every single weekday. And you can leave a review. That would be great too. That would Wouldn't help us like out. And subscribe. That would really help us out here at the Tony Michaels Podcast. Like and if you want to support, support democracy speech. Go to the link down Good. below, support.tonymichaelspod.com. Uh, you can use the QR code, but also support pro-democracy speech everywhere you can. Not just with monetary uh, contributions, but also giving them likes, spreading the message, spreading the word. If, if they have great messaging, get out there and adopt their messaging, spread their messaging. Uh, we've got to win this midterm. It is crucial. Joe Biden laid it out last night with his speech. Why democracy is so important and why they are so hell-bent on destroying our democracy because they're fascists. They're fascists. Yeah. 
So let's do this. Let's do the, the, the we said they're semi-fascist, but in the weekend. Be safe. Be safe this holiday weekend, and we will see you here Monday. Full on. Not semi-fascist. Full on fascist. Tony Michaels podcast. podcast. In your face commentary of current events and political news. No rules. No boundaries. I think we've made that perfectly clear. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll be back soon. In the meantime, follow Tony on social media at the Tony Michaels. And until next time, raise a fist and repeat after me. Fuck them. Fuck them. <laughs> Seven, almost eight hours more to go. Newborn, an ass <laughs> it has. <laughs> I had a picture of a donkey. Our life is short and it's fragile. Ellen DeGeneres has shockingly broken her silence on ex-girlfriend Anne Hush's death. The details behind the formal couple's dramatic relationship are honestly unbelievable. Anne Hesch tragically passed away on August 12th. After spending a week in the hospital, the actress had suffered serious injuries after she crashed her car on August 5th. She had been under the influence of substances while she drove into her Los Angeles home. Before Anne passed, Ellen DeGeneres was asked about her ex's condition. Her short response has shockingly sparked some unexpected backlash. Ellen had replied that because she and Anne were in touch with each other, she wouldn't know how Anne was doing. She did add that she hoped no one was hurt, but some people online still thought that her answer was a little cold. Just two days later, Ellen commented on Anne again. Sadly, on Friday, August 12th, it was announced that Anne had passed away. Ellen posted a warmer message about her on Twitter, maybe because of the comments about her previous statement. What she wrote was sweet but surprising. In her message, Ellen remarked that it was a sad day. She said that she was sending her love to Anne's children, family, and friends. It was a nice and thoughtful message, especially considering the former couple hadn't always seen eye to eye. Ellen and Anne's past relationship was honestly a little bit crazy. 1997 was a huge year for both Ellen and Anne for some pretty shocking reasons. Earlier in the year, the then 39-year-old Ellen came out as being gay on the cover of Time magazine. Anne was 28 at the time and was having a wildly successful year in Hollywood. She was set to star in a movie with Harrison Ford and had even landed a role in the Gus Van Sant remake of Psycho. Later that year, something totally unexpected happened. Anne and Ellen had met at a Vanity Fair Oscars party and they hit it off right away. Surprisingly, they dated for six months without anyone finding out. It turns out that Anne faced some serious heat for the relationship before it went public, so she made a shocking decision. Anne was at the height of her acting career and was getting ready to go to the premiere of her movie while hanging out. 
she decided to ask the film executives what they thought about her bringing Ellen. The executives' response was seriously unexpected. Allegedly, the executives told Anne that if she brought Ellen to the premiere, she could lose her contract with Fox. The couple decided to risk it anyway and publicly announced their relationship by showing up to the premiere together. What happened next was honestly crazy. Shockingly, Ellen and Anne weren't even allowed to stay for the whole premiere. Security asked them to leave, and that wasn't all. Anne wasn't even allowed to go to her own after-party for the movie. The film execs didn't want to risk Anne being photographed with Ellen, but the damage was already done. I don't think anybody expected what happened next. Anne revealed that after coming out as a couple, both she and Ellen were basically fired. Ellen's sitcom, Ellen, was taken off the air less than a year after its start. Anne realized she wasn't getting acting offers anymore, even though her movies had been huge successes. Ellen and Anne's relationship had spread like wildfire. And then Ellen confessed something surprising. Ellen admitted to Anne that she didn't think she could continue to date. She was worried that the relationship would ruin Anne's career. She tried to break up with her. Anne wasn't having it, and they decided to stay together despite the backlash they knew they'd face. They didn't just share a relationship, though. Ellen and Anne decided to team up in some unexpected ways. Anne decided to direct a movie starring none other than Ellen and Sharon Stone. After If Walls Could Talk too, the couple decided to keep working together. Ellen began her tour as a comedian, and Anne directed the tour as well. The relationship wasn't just progressing in their business, though. Ellen and Anne made a surprising decision. The couple decided to move in together to a multi-million dollar Los Angeles home. It seemed like life was finally balancing out for the couple. They looked happy together and very much in love at the premiere of the movie they had worked on together. Surprisingly, Ellen was shocked shortly after when something unexpected happened. After dating for over three years, Ellen and Anne announced that they had broken up. They both released statements that claimed the split was peaceful. Ellen later revealed what really happened, and it's absolutely crazy. Allegedly, Ellen didn't know the breakup was coming. She claimed that Anne just walked out of the house one day, and the two hadn't spoken since. I can't even imagine how shocked she was. Everyone wanted to know what had happened, and sadly, Ellen did too. There was a ton of drama that followed, and you aren't going to believe what went down. After her split from Ellen, Anne had a very tough time, to say the least. Shockingly, she was hospitalized the following day for substance issues and mental health concerns. During the next few years, she revealed some crazy details about her life in interviews and in her book, Call Me Crazy. Allegedly, Anne's brother had tragically passed away after he purposefully drove his car into a tree. At the same point in her life, she was processing some traumatic events her father had put her through before he passed away. It seemed like the breakup was triggering a lot of emotions for Anne, and she didn't stay quiet about it for too long. Surprisingly, Anne later revealed why she broke up with Ellen. She claimed that she and Ellen hadn't shared the same goal. Anne shared that while she wanted to find love, Ellen was only after money. That wasn't the only issue she had with Ellen. And this is pretty crazy. Anne shockingly claimed that Ellen had even wanted to control the way she dressed. 
and even made a TikTok explaining her questionable outfit choices in the video and said that she was dressed like a hippie at the 1998 Golden Globes because Ellen skin it seemed like she was throwing quite a bit of shade at ellen despite the crazy claims the tabloids were making not long after Anne left ellen she started dating coleman lafoon gossip magazines quickly assumed that Anne had possibly cheated on ellen she shortly got married to coleman and had a son homer she wasn't the only one moving on though Ellen started dating Portia de Rossi in 2004, and the two got married four years later. At around the same time, Anne left Coleman and quickly got together with her co-star, James Tupper. They ended up having a son, Atlas, but split in 2018. Over the next few years, Anne aired out quite a bit of dirty laundry about all of her exes, and it was pretty crazy. Anne found herself in and out of court with her son's father, and there's a lot of allegations involved. Coleman reportedly claimed that Anne had bad parenting skills and wasn't mentally stable. Anne fired back in a shocking way. Anne revealed that Coleman struggled with several addiction issues, her personal life was being dragged through the news, and she always seemed to have a comment for something. Her son's fathers weren't the only people catching heat from Anne, though. Surprisingly, she was still talking about how her career was never the same because of Ellen. I feel like Anne was maybe hurting her own career by making all of her private issues public, but maybe that's just me. In a more recent interview, Anne revealed how Ellen was still making acting difficult for her. Ellen's talk show, which ended this year, was a huge platform for celebrities to promote their latest entertainment news. Because of their awkward split, Anne shared that she obviously wasn't going to be on Ellen's show to promote any business. Anne figured that since she had less ways to promote a movie, she wasn't seen as a very good actress in Hollywood. Anne chalked up her relationship with Ellen to ruining her career, but had a surprising confession. Anne revealed that she didn't regret being a part of the same-sex movement. Even though her relationship with Ellen had gone south, she claimed that it was important to break more barriers when it came to the LGBTQ lifestyles. Her family remembered her as someone with a huge heart who pushed for acceptance of loving who you love. I feel for Anne's family, and I'm sure Ellen is struggling a bit as well. What a sad situation all around. After getting into Ellen and Anne's history together, as well as how Ellen felt about Anne's passing, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Do you think that Ellen hurt Anne's acting career? What do you think about Ellen's message about Anne? Let me know in the comments. All right, man. Right. So, welcome to the uh, Christopher Gabonator show. And we're kind of wandering through the internet right now. Um, um, Trump love letters. Girl shares letter to Trump about losing her mother to his immigration policies. Man, it's superstition.
wonder how much you sold that song for. I am 11 for. years old. My mom is my best friend. Democratic National, this is a teenager, the Democratic National. As a teenager, over 20 years ago, without papers in search of a better life. She married my dad, who served her country as a Marine in South America, Africa, and Iraq. My mom worked hard and paid taxes, and the Obama administration told her she could stay. My dad thought you would protect military families, so he voted for you in 2016, Mr. President. He says he won't vote for you again after what you did to our family. Wife of a U.S. Marine veteran was deported to Mexico. Instead of protecting us, you tore our world apart. My mom is a good person. She's not a criminal. She's been taken from us for no reason at all. Every day that passes, you deport more moms and dads and take them away from kids like me. We will begin moving them out. Day one. You separated thousands of children from their parents and you put them in cages. Indefinitely. And they're still missing. Some of those kids are now orphans because of you. These are our people. I don't want them in our country. Yeah, what happened to these children? Mr. President, my mom is the wife of a proud American Marine and a mother. And then I'm gonna fucking paste. To American children. We are American families. We need a president who will bring people together, not tear them apart. Sincerely, Estella. Welcome to our exclusive panel tonight, uh -huh. former Trump insiders who filled senior roles for Donald Trump in business, communication, and government only to conclude that he's unfit for office or re-election. Three X, this is one year ago, three X Trump aides joined to oust Trump after debate debacle. Trump personal attorney Michael Cohen testified against his old boss, former White House Communications Director Anthony Scaramucci, who opposes Trump's re-election after briefly serving in his White House, and former Trump co-author Tony Schwartz, who scripted Trump's original public mythology and the art of the deal only who emerges a fierce critic and decoder of Trump's rhetoric and, yes, lies. I want to thank each of you for joining this unique discussion at this important time. Gentlemen. How are you? How are you? 
Good, good. Appreciate you all doing this. We have set aside time tonight for conversation in depth, uh, but I do want to do quickly first two questions to each of you that are lightning round, basically one word only, uh, and then we'll get in deeper. So first, uh, your views of Trump at the debate in a word, Michael. Can I use a hyphenated word? <laughs> yes. Fecal display. <laughs> Anthony. <laughs> Unhinged. Tony. Rabbit. And the second Rabbit. lightning round question, given why in part you're here in this role that you're playing as we unhinged. go towards this election. From when each of you met him, how many years in your account, in your mind, did it take to change your mind about Trump? Michael. A decade. Anthony. Seven years. Tony. Zero. I knew who he was at hello. Interesting. Which, in your view, in your own telling, uh, raises some of the questions of accountability that we're going to get into. Uh, so that's a framework for part of why each of you are here. Uh, let's get right into it. Obviously, Michael, uh, you've spoken out about witnessing Donald Trump's bigotry behind closed doors. You've spoken about it now under oath. You've written about it. Uh, and so I want to go to you first. Take a look at this key moment in last night's debate. Proud boys, stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left because this is not a right wing problem. Stand by to the Proud Boys and when he was asked about white supremacy. Michael, your view of that and what have you seen in your time with him that helps explain that so people know uh, what they're voting on if they want to support him in November? Trump has made racism a central tenet of this campaign. Um, and in this case, he's blew, he's blown his dog whistle uh, at the Proud Boys, and he's essentially called his supremacist horde, you know, to their battle stations. That's how I saw it. And it's really not what people think. You have to really understand Donald Trump to understand, and I do this a lot in my book, Disloyal, what he's really thinking. He's refusing to disavow them. Because they are now his army. And he will call them to arms. Yes, terrorist militia. Attempt to retain control over power. This is, he sees them as an army. They dress like an army. They behave like an army. They brandish the Trump flag to make America great again.
Um, <clears throat> it's uh, it's giving me a warning. <laughs> Orange. down the street attacking people this is his army and he intends on calling them back tony you're nodding yeah i think it's i think it's absolutely right i think that uh listen trump is at a very very difficult moment He's been getting angrier and angrier over the past couple of months for what I believe, and see what these guys think, are two reasons. One, he increasingly believes he's going to lose, at least lose legitimately. And the worst thing in the world for Donald Trump is to feel like a loser. It's obliterating to him. The second thing is that if he loses, he's worried he's about to get criminally indicted and that he could end up in prison. Michael? Yeah, I mean, Tony's 100% correct. I mean, there's, there's nothing else I can add to it. He hates to lose. It's a big problem for him. He's all about winning. I talk about that as well, you know, in the book. And he is concerned. There are a multitude of investigations right now pending against him and the Trump organization. And the way that he believes that he's going to stop them from continuing is to retain control and to retain the presidency. Right. You, you're both speaking about his view of everything, do or die, total war, uh, and the legitimate evidence out there for something that does not face most politicians or most presidents, which is the idea that losing is also associated with losing.
the, the power that might keep your liberty and keep you potentially out of other legal problems or even, yes, uh, exposure. Anthony, I want to bring you in here. And again, uh, you've spoken about this, so I don't say this to give you a hard time, but just part of my job is uh, you have, like others, been very supportive of this president uh, before my revolution. So with that context, let's take a look at some of that. I think he's got some of the best political instincts in the world, and perhaps in history. He's done a phenomenal job for the American people. He is giving people a license to hate, uh, to find a source of anger, to go after each other. Hey, everybody. Mason Dye here. I'm sure you know the puzzle game Royal Match. And the team is always in the After I saw the ad for, like, the millionth time, I thought, you know what? I'm going to download it. I'm going to give it a shot. Now... I can't stop playing it. Also, no ads. Zero. Not one. Who knew? Who knew you could have a game without any ads? Now it is my go-to game. It's so much fun. Give it a download. You're going to love it. Polish it. educated adult professional felt that way or said those things recently and land where you do today on this panel saying you've seen trump up close and you're warning the american people well, I'm, I'm blaming the whole thing on michael uh, ari because he's the one that <laughs> introduced me mr trump so you get the whole thing but no in all seriousness what i said was he has great political instincts and he does have great political instincts you have to acknowledge that if you want to defeat Mr. Trump, you have to accept what his strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, but my evolution really came from watching the presidency unfold. I was actually trying to stay loyal after I got fired. And I ended up uh, seeing a lot of things that you couldn't take. And so somebody, one of my liberal friends said, well, you know, he was the same guy in 2015 as he was in 2019 when you were going against them. So what do you say to that? And my answer to that is I'm not the same person. I'm way more psychologically minded. The way I got fired, the way I got roughed up by the experience made me more empathetic, more mature, and more psychologically aware of what's going on around me. And it sort of broke me out of that cult. So I have to own my mistakes, certainly. But what I also want to do is provide an off-ramp, Ari, for other people uh, where they're looking at this situation, they know it's ugly, they know it's a gruesome situation, yeah. uh, and let's get them the off-ramp that they need. Uh, it's so interesting you say that, Anthony, because the off-ramp is, the whole panel stays. Tony, I'm going to...
go to you, but this off-ramp is something that is why we're having this conversation tonight. America saw this debate last night. The panel stays, but this is another key question I want to get into with our guests. You have many swing state voters looking at this the final month of the election cycle. And one question is, after you go Trump, do you ever go back? In entertainment and politics, Trump's never been a broadly popular figure. He's no Oprah. But Trump has a small and fervently dedicated following. So it does matter how people break away. What the off-ramp is, as Anthony Scaramucci just mentioned, as these colleagues of ours here from Donald Trump are going to get into. So I want to put a little bit more evidence on the table. When you look at not just these famous politicos, but lesser-known Americans, there are many who start out liking Donald Trump, believing him only to learn it was a con before politics. That included people who believed Trump would do what he said. Small business entrepreneurs back in 2005 who believed Trump would be personally involved in backing a marketing company they had when he never even showed up. They sued him for fraud and false advertising. Trump fans who believed that Donald Trump was doing public works through his charity, which was literally shut down and fined for conning them because it was all a lie. Or, of course, the many Trump fans who spent up to $35,000 to get classes from Trump at Trump University, where they found out it was a fraud. No Trump there to do any teaching or classes, no university to speak of. Something that actually converted the most loyal type of Trump fan, someone willing to spend their own money to just be with him, into a con victim seeking justice. This is the boom-bust cycle we've seen of Trumpism. I say that not as a political observation, but as the evidence from Trump's own former fans, former fervent supporters, whose feelings often curdle into people who find themselves repulsed and repelled in the end. Former Defense Secretary James Mattis condemning President Trump, accusing the president of deliberately trying to divide Americans. The president's worst impulses can't be ameliorated. If you Google the word sociopath, you'll get the first list will be the 10 key qualities of the sociopath. That is a perfect description of Donald Trump's... I liked working for him, but when I saw how he talked about us when he started his presidency, I felt humiliated. The entire program was smoke and mirrors. Do those stories of smoke and mirrors apply to this election? There are some echoes here. There's a farmer, Rick Tellis, who spoke out about regretting his vote for Trump and even spoke at the DNC. And there's data showing a portion of Americans defecting out of the Trump bubble. For example, did you know that in battleground states, now about one out of 20 Trump voters, 6% of his 2016 supporters, say they will not have any chance of backing him again. Uh, We turn that process uh, to each of you, starting with Tony. What is specific to the support that Trump endears that then is important to understand if someone's going to break away? Look, first of all, it's mostly men. You know, women are overwhelmingly uh, against Trump, men are for him. There's a disease that especially afflicts men. And most of all, men who grow up with a feeling of not being good enough. And it's the disease of trying to win from the outside world through money and power and fame the love and recognition that was missing for them when they grew up in their own families. It's the heart of why Trump does what he does. He's still trying to prove his worth to his daddy. It's the story I tell about myself in dealing with the devil. I suspect it's true. I don't know, but I suspect it's true for Michael and Anthony. I've reckoned with it over the past 30 years. Trump hasn't. And the reckoning 
is why I feel such joy in giving away my royalties from the art of the deal to people and causes that can serve a greater good. So in my case, over the next month, I'll, I'll give, I'll donate my next tranche of royalties as I've donated all royalties from the art of the deal since the, uh, since Trump was elected. Oops. Shit. <clears throat> to Joe Biden and to Democrats fighting for Republican Senate seats and to causes that Trump hates. It's my way of getting Trump to support what he hates. Anthony? I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, I, I grew up in a blue collar neighborhood. You know, my parents did give me a lot of love. Uh, but we, you know, we were hustling. We were hustling for uh, an, a tight budgeted family and I was out, out to do well and try to live the American dream. And I read the book that Tony wrote. I told him that when I was about 23 years old and I was inspired by it. And, and so for, for me, when I met Mr. Trump and Michael did introduce me to him, I, I had this feeling about him that, okay, this is a doer. This is a guy that can get things done. Uh, and then more time I spent with him, I saw him as a Ron Contour. And then when we were on the campaign together, Michael could attribute this. He was way more relaxed on the campaign because he didn't think he was going to win the presidency. When he got to the presidency... So let, me, let me push on that point because you're answering specifically what Tony raises to Anthony and then to Michael. Anthony, did you feel that associating yourself with Trump, in your case personally, but for many other Americans, it's at a distance, did it make you feel bigger or better about yourself initially? Well, I would have to be honest with that and say... No, in the beginning, but when he won the presidency, yes. The presidency, that's where I made my mistake. My ego and my pride kicked in. And when your ego and pride kicks in, Ari, your intelligence, your emotions go up and your intelligence goes down. And so, yes, when he won the presidency, I was attracted to the idea of working in the White House. I have to live with that and reckon with that for the rest of my life because he was the wrong man to go to work for or work with. Uh, but not in the beginning, because I had already had a very good career. I was hosting a, a show on the Fox Business Channel, and I just thought it was going to be a lot of fun to be a part of the campaign. But when he made the transition to the presidency, the answer to that question is a very honest yes. And so, Michael, the same question to you, which you explore in the book, do you ever feel like you're speaking to your past self when you speak, as people are listening to you now on this program, your book, your podcast? You're speaking sometimes towards people who are where you were a few years ago in terms of how they support Trump. Yeah. Um, just to, to talk about what Tony had brought up, um, I grew up in a very loving home, and my relationship, even to this day, with my father is unbreakable. I love the man. I was never looking for a replacement father. What Trump was was more like a patriarch. It's a little bit different. But what really enticed me wasn't the money like Judge Pauly used to say, uh, or what he said in my sentencing, it had nothing to do with the money. Like Anthony and, and Tony, I was very successful. I had done very well early on in my, in my career. What attracted me, and I believe this is what attracts most America, is the stardom. It's that celebrity fame that he brings. It's the, I'm gonna live my life larger than you could ever imagine. You know, I went out, you may remember, to um, Ohio, you know, for him. I took the 727 by myself. And when I landed, they asked me, 
Mr. Cohen, Mr. Cohen, what are you doing here? Well, I came to just check out the first thing called Kid State. Well, why'd you take Mr. Trump's 727? Well, he wouldn't let me use the 757, right? I mean, this was the life. I was on the board of Miss Universe organization. You know, the business card, big, thick cardboard with this, with the gold. Is the, it's, it's the celebrity power that he brings. It's the, I'm going to live my life, you know, larger than life. And that was something that attracted me. And... I did things that, you know, like as Anthony says, I'm going to regret for the rest of my life. Most of the ways specifically in, into running what for do you presidency. And specifically, I'm just pushing you. What do you say to people who are where you were then and say, yeah, celebrity populism well, has of, Yeah. What do you sure, say to the whole purpose? The whole purpose of the book, Disloyal, is go to the store, buy some Visine, put Visine in your eyes and clear Clear your vision to, and see that Donald Trump doesn't care about anyone or anything other than himself. Hmm. I want to read from the book, as you mentioned, Michael, about this challenge, this yeah, dilemma that you guys are going to. That's a good meme right the there. After much of what you recount, I care for Donald Trump even to this day, and I had and still have a lot of affection for him. Uh, to channel, the, I think, the question many would have, why? It's the different Donald Trump. It's not the Donald Trump as the president. It was the former Donald Trump. Yeah, it became Trump. a piece and of the shit. The Donald Trump I was referring After to. After he became president. It was the fun Donald Trump. Yeah, Anthony will attest this. We had a lot of good times. Winter said, he's doing too many drugs. He's a fucking meth head. You know, always a, it was a celebration. And, you know, going to even the clubs where. Criminally insane. Like, yeah. Yankee hey, Trump, if you're listening like to this, declare yeah, yourself Yankee criminally.